Hello, and thank you for joining us today. My name is Greg Lois, and if you're with me today, uh, I hope it's to learn a little bit about the Second Injury Fund. I am joined today uh, by Karen Vincent, uh, who's one of the senior attorneys in our New Jersey Workers' Compensation Practice. Good morning. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. <laughs> uh, and uh, Karen has been doing workers' comp defense for how many years now? Going on 18. 18 years. All right. Yeah. So as long as me. Uh, today we're going to be covering a topic which is very important for carriers, for the defense, for third-party administrators, for self-insurers to understand, uh, but it's a very difficult topic because it's going to involve a little bit of math. So we're here to walk you through uh, getting the most out of the second injury fund. New Jersey is one of the few states that still has a second injury fund that will come in and contribute and pay for claims. Uh, and so it's very important to understand how it works and how we can best utilize it to reduce your overall exposure. If you can't tell, let me tell you, this is absolutely live. So please feel free to ask us questions. I have a console in front of me. I can see uh, people popping in. Hello, Michelle, Richard, Steve, Wendy. We can see you on our screen that you're, you're paying attention. And I can also see your questions as we go. So please feel free to ask us questions as we start to move through this uh, presentation. And uh, we'll answer them all if we can at the end. Uh, the overall presentation should only take 10 or 12 minutes to get through, so we have plenty of time for questions at the end. All right, let's start with a quick discussion, a little overview. What is New Jersey's Second Injury Fund? Take it away. Well, the Second Injury Fund was created uh, in 1923, and essentially what it is is that all New Jersey uh, workers' compensation policies pay a surcharge into the fund, and that's where the money is, is kept. And what it was done is it was designed uh, following World War I, uh, for disabled veterans who come back to work and employers who are a little reluctant to hire someone who's disabled because they already have an injury, they might be more prone to an accident. So essentially the second injury fund uh, provides some sort of cushioning for them that, they're, that they will participate and help if for any pre-existing injuries that occurred. This obviously took place before the Americans with Disabilities Act, which now protects employers as well and, and the employee from getting that job. So essentially, uh, the second injury fund comes in on a workers' compensation case where the petitioner has an injury and is now deemed 100% totally disabled. They're unable to return to work. Uh, the petitioner had a measurable disability before the employment and the combination of the prior disability and the new accident has now rendered the petitioner incapable of working. Right. So the second injury fund is going to pay when there is a claim, and one party is either claiming or conceding that the petitioner has reached total disability. Oftentimes, that will be a point of contention. Um, it is, the burden is going to fall on whatever party is claiming our entitlement to second injury fund relief to show that there was some sort of disability prior to the last work accident. And the interesting thing we always have to remember about, I think, in second injury fund cases is, you know, there's a third party now in the room because it's the petitioner's attorney, let's say that's me, you're the respondent's attorney, and now we're going to have a, another attorney, a deputy attorney general, representing the second injury fund who really doesn't want to pay. Right. Um, and they'll make all these arguments and say, well, the person's currently not totally disabled or they were not disabled before the last accident. And so we'll get to the end how we overcome those objections from the deputy attorney general. Um, mechanically, the way this works is we're still going to pay for our portion of disability, but we're going to get a credit for the prior disability that uh, maybe uh, hadn't been awarded in the workers' compensation court, and then going forward and into the future, and after that first initial period of nine years, 450 weeks is paid, 
we would then get uh, that burden shifted to the second injury fund, which can be a significant saving of money. All right, this might seem a little hypothetical or out there. So we have a very easy, I think, sort of concrete example to walk through. Uh, so let's let's go over the same material, but let's use a very specific concrete example because I feel like that's the best way to explain or understand the second injury fund. All right, so here's our lovely employee. Yes. Came to us, works for us, uh, previously had lost their foot in some kind of accident or injury. We don't know. Uh, so prior to any new loss, had a missing foot. Uh, of course, was working at the time of the last accident with us. And now, uh-oh, has a workplace loss. And in our hypothetical, their workplace loss is going to be the other foot. So uh, Karen will tell you, this means you're statutorily totally disabled. Yes, under the statute, Section 20, if you lose two feet, two arms, basically any two limbs, you're 100% totally disabled. There's nothing to negotiate. And it doesn't have to be two feet or two arms. It could be a combination, one arm, one foot. But essentially, any loss of two limbs uh, amputation, it's going to be statutorily total. Right. And that's almost a term of art that we use in Jersey. We'll say statutorily totaled out. Uh, you know, one arm, one foot. Uh, both eyes, those things all make you statutorily totally disabled. So in this instance, there's really nothing to know. You know this person is going to have a total disability. So let's talk about what the exposure would be if New Jersey's second injury fund did not contribute. Right? Pretty basic, pretty straightforward what that right. exposure would be. Right. So without, without second injury fund involvement, you'd have 450 450 weeks of total disability payments and then after that 450 weeks you're continuing to pay the petitioner until all future medicals that are related to that accident right uh, so in graph form or in the formula form that initial period plus whatever weeks are left in life expectancy plus medical costs for life equals your overall exposure pretty easy to figure this out because in New Jersey it's always gonna be 450 weeks of that initial period that's your, uh, that's the maximum award of compensation you can obtain in New Jersey. That's 75% of this 600 week maximum. Uh, then you'd get their life expectancy from a decennial life table or a rated age. Uh, and you'll pretty much know what the medicals are going to look like. Uh, some of our clients will get a cost projection or the adjuster is really very familiar with the case by that point. And hopefully they'll say, oh, this is what we think their medicals are. And that's really how you would get the total exposure. So in the case of our poor injury hypothetical worker here, he was 61 years of age at the time of last loss. He earned $600 per week. So we know uh, based on his age, he'll get an initial award of 450 weeks plus 17.3 years uh, which is his life expectancy of 78 point something years, uh, which is an additional 449 weeks on top of the initial 450, plus whatever the medicals cost. And we're just putting a question mark there. Like, we don't know that, but we would get a projection for that. Uh, and that equals a total exposure of $539,400. It's not really fair, though, when you think about it, because this claimant came to us with one foot missing. Correct. All right. So this would be an instance where we really would want to get contribution from the second injury fund. So let's talk about uh, how that would be. Now we know already, we've, made, we've chosen a simple example, claim it's already totally disabled. Correct. It's not a, even a question. They've lost both feet at this point. One work-related, one non-work-related. Uh, obviously the loss of a foot, I think it's gonna be pretty easy to argue they had a measurable disability. Correct. But you see it go the other way, right? 
Well, they always make the argument, yes. Right, I mean, I, we always hear the Deputy Attorney General say something like, hey, at the time of their new loss, when they lost the other foot, they were already working. So Greg, what disability did they really have? And that's where we have to, in New Jersey, sort of rely on the activities of daily living prong. In New Jersey, you don't have to show wage loss. You don't have to show much of anything, really. You can just say, my activities of daily living have been affected by this loss. And that's the justification for the second injury fund to then go contribute into our case. Um, so our argument is going to be, hey, the prior injury plus the new injury, now they're totally disabled, and you're on the hook for it. Correct. All right. So uh, we're going to expect uh, the fund to raise their defenses. They rarely concede. In my experience, have you ever had them voluntarily just concede at the time? Of no. Verified even if you have something where it's a, a lot of prior injuries, even prior awards are always going to make the argument that the petitioner was completely fine at the time of our accident. Yeah, I'm, I don't think, I mean, I've had some pretty, to me, seeming clear-cut ones. Um, they'll fight a lot harder, I'll say, when the pre-existing is some kind of psychiatric disability or something else that's kind of vague, subjective, and co-it. Um, but remember, the prior disability does not have to be work-related. It could be something like uh, diabetes that has been poorly controlled, for example. Uh, it could be hypertension. It could be something else. And so for those reasons, they're pretty, they really do push back on anything other than really very clear-cut orthopedic injuries or a statutorily total situation. Correct. Um, all right. So now we're going to go to the uh, second injury fund, and we're going to say, look, you have to give us some contribution into this case. Um, we, at this point, are just going to make a very simple example. And we have a prior loss of a foot. Where's the uh, value for the prior loss of a foot? Well, we know a foot is 230 weeks of compensation. That's your maximum. So uh, the parties will often fight back and forth about how much it's actually worth. And that's where we're going to get IME reports and their IRA report, et cetera. Who cares? For the purposes of this hypothetical in today's discussion, let's just imagine that they only had a 1% uh, uh, disability as a result of the prior loss of a foot. I think that's a very low valuation for the loss of a foot. Absolutely. I, I, just, I, yeah. I think for the loss of foot in New Jersey, you'd get at least 50 of the statutory foot, so at least 115 weeks, maybe more. Maybe you'd get some partial total easily because I think uh, you'd, you'd say there has to be some kind of psychological sequelae of losing your foot, right? Um, so let's just, for the purposes of this hypothetical, let's just imagine it's only 1%. Let's go through the exact same example again, this time saying we're getting a 1% partial total disability contribution from the second injury fund. That's four and a half weeks of compensation. So in our original example with no fund, remember we're going to pay 450 weeks, plus we're going to pay 449 weeks, that's based on life expectancy, and our total dollar exposure, this does not consider medical, is $539,000. Now, with the fund contributing just 1%, let's go through the numbers. Right. And as we said before, we pay first. So out of the 450 weeks, we pay 446.5 weeks. Now, where we really save the money is that now that the fund is involved, after that 446.5 weeks, the life expectancy time period is where the second injury fund pays. So in our original example where we had a life expectancy of 17.3 years, which was 449 weeks, the second injury fund pays that amount. So instead of an overall exposure of 539,400, we're almost at half now, 267,600. And that's just with the fund contributing at 1%. Right. And that's dramatic. I mean, 
the hypothetical is pretty straightforward in terms of what's the injuries, what's the loss. Uh, we're conceding that it's only 1% disability, but look at your exposure drop down so massively. And it could be affected even more if we really did get a credit for like 100 weeks of compensation, like which you really should have gotten for the loss of a foot, right? Uh, you could see that number drop down even uh, more significantly down into the range of 180, $190,000. And so for those reasons, getting contribution from the second injury fund, it's very important in a total disability case. Rarely should we ever, I think, concede a total disability case. Uh, we should be trying to look for some reason to get the fund in on a total disc case. I just, you've got to find something. You've got to find hypertension or depression or anything in their medical history uh, to try to claim that there should be any contribution. Again, even 1% contribution could reduce your overall exposure very dramatically. Um, it's also good to note that we're not stuck on just one. In this case, you know, you have the one foot amputation, but he could have also had diabetes or PTSD. So essentially, we're going to fight for credit for every single thing down to a sprained ankle when he was 15 years old. And we're going to make the argument that all of these injuries contributed. Right. Often in these cases, too, we'll see that the claimant has already applied for something like Social Security Disability. So we'll want to get uh, that information. So let's talk about how we actually document that file or what kind of things we're putting together for the fund. Um, well, when we do every case, we always do division search, ISO claim search. We, we're already looking to see if petitioner has any prior disabilities. Petitioner's attorney also, when they secure a medical report, some of the doctors will say that there's prior injuries, prior surgeries, something that occurred years before when they get the medical history from the petitioner. So when the petitioner's attorney files the verified petition, they will normally list off chronologically all the prior injuries that the petitioner has had prior medical conditions, prior surgeries, prior prior claims, whether they're workers' comp, civil claims, anything like that. And based on that, we'll go through, and usually they'll attach medical documentation. If there's anything missing, we'll also reach out and try to get those records. Uh, the more records we have, the better during uh, conferencing with the, with the Deputy Attorney General, because we want to show just as many records and as much treatment as possible. Yeah. And Part of this is the claimant filing a verified petition with the Second Injury Fund, um, asking the Second Injury Fund to contribute, essentially. Uh, the fund loves to pick apart everything that they've been provided with, and they'll say, this is incomplete, or I need more of this information, or go back and get me this medical. Um, it's very rare for a case to be conferenced with the Deputy Attorney General, and on the first time that the deputies say, yeah, I think this is a Second Injury Fund case, I'm going to pay. Uh, you can expect respondents, employers, self-insured carriers, and when you're seeking secondary fund contribution, we're going to have to do some work to get it. They rarely, in my experience, can see that. I, again, I can't think of the time they ever have, even in what I would suggest to be quite clear-cut cases. Um, there are times when the fund never pays, and there's things the fund never pays. So, for example, they don't pay for medical treatment. That is still going to be our exposure going forward. Uh, they never contribute towards a Section 20. And I would also warn um, practitioners in particular about Section 20-ing out body parts where you're then going to be attempting to get second injury fund contribution. And I've had this circumstance where they've maybe brought a claim against successive employers. And somewhere during the case, they realized, you know what, most of my exposure is with Greg's client, or they're raising bond versus blue ribbon and saying essentially, it's all Greg, and he contributes to my overall disability, and I'm going to let these other employers out or these other carriers out, these other periods of exposure out, and they're all going to pay me $2,500 section 20, goodbye. 
Then when we go to the fund and we say, fund, it's time to contribute, they're like, wait, you, you left out all the people that should have contributed, and that can become a stumbling block to an ultimate um, Section 95 uh, uh, contribution. Uh, they'll never pay dependency benefits. They don't pay death claims. Uh, that's going to be all us. Go, I mean, it kind of makes sense. If we kill you at work, we're not going to be able to get contribution from the second injury fund. Okay. Where that gets a little dicier or uh, more convoluted is where uh, someone gets an award for total disability and then claims later on their dependence claim. It was that condition that developed over time and ultimately uh, led to the demise of the petitioner. They don't pay anything in partial disability cases. It's total or nothing. And if it's less than total, we're asking for an adult credit. That's why we're doing those things you talked about. Uh, ISO search, uh, request for record inspection to the Depart uh, Division of Labor. Um, they're almost always going to say, in my experience, total last accident. Yes. Right? I mean, every time you conference a case with them, they go, they go, Greg, the guy was working fine right up until that last day of work when he had that last accident with you. And so that's definitely an objection that we have to be prepared as defense counsel to neutralize. Uh, the other thing is the Walmart greeter defense. Uh, and this is where they say, your guy's not totally disabled, Greg. Uh, he could work as a Walmart greeter because somehow there's this theoretical job out there that anybody could do, which is to say, hi, welcome to Walmart. Well, there might be other uh, jobs that this person can do, but that's not what the definition of total disability is in New Jersey. The definition of total disability in Jersey has got nothing to do with wage loss, ability to find a job, et cetera. It just says you've got so much going on that you cannot do the type of work you did before. It doesn't say anything like you have to go find some hypothetical job. Uh, that's frequently, I think, trotted out by the deputy yes. to say, I'm not paying because this person could work as a Walmart greeter. All right. I told you we'd get through this in about 15 minutes. It took 18. So let's go to questions now. I hope there are some questions. Let me come over here and see what we got. If you haven't answered your question yet, but you've got one, type it. Okay. Question one from Cindy. Uh, Greg can barely hear you. <laughs> Something wrong with your microphone. We can hardly hear you. Maybe bring it closer to you next time. Ooh. Okay, in the control booth, they're saying they can hear me. Might be a problem. Turn the volume up on your speakers. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see what else we got. I guess I'm just naturally loud. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Linda's saying, Greg, the wrong handout is attached. Sorry about that. There was actually no handout for today. Let me delete that one out there. There it goes. All right. Anybody with a second injury fund question? Michelle, are there any indicators for when the second injury fund will kick in? All right. So again, that gives that's a good overview type of question. Um, we're generally, they're not going to kick in voluntarily. Okay. There isn't a moment. I don't think I've ever seen one where the second injury fund has somehow jumped into a case and said, I'll voluntarily pay this thing. No. Two things have to happen first. Thing number one, someone, petitioner or the respondent, has to file a verified petition demanding that the second injury fund kick in, right? And that's a key too, is we, we can technically file it. It's kind of rare that we do, because most of the time, it's one of these weird situations where sometimes we're almost in line with petitioner's attorney and working together to get second injury fund involvement. So usually we'll see the case and we'll, we'll approach them and say, look, we need second injury fund involvement. They're going to file the verified petition. 
right? And petitioner's attorneys, generally speaking, do not really care about who pays their client because it's all going to be the same amount of money. But they really don't want to file that verified petition because it means now they've got a new party in the case. Yes. Who's going to be saying your guy's not total, your lady's not total, and who's going to be fighting them tooth and nail, and they're going to have to produce more paperwork. Remember, uh, petitioner's counsel, their dream client is they file a claim petition, they get a huge fee, they don't do anything else. They lift no fingers. They don't do any work. So filing the verified petition, going to court a few extra times, talk to the deputy attorney general, conference the case with the judge, that's more work. They just don't want to do it. So oftentimes we'll be pressing on them. We'll be saying, well, I can't settle this case unless you at least file a verified right. petition. Um, generally speaking, we don't counsel clients to file our own verified petitions because to do so, you have to certify or state that the claimant is completely and totally disabled, which could come back to haunt us in terms of exposure later. So for those reasons, we typically don't do it. But those are the two things that have to happen. They have to file the verified petition, and then the deputy attorney general has to come where there's a case gets conferenced, and they're either going to say, yes, I'm going to pay, or they'll say, no way, this is not one where we think we should contribute. So it's one or the other. But those are the steps you have to go through. Uh, they will typically not concede. All right. It's also important to add that we do have a lot of instances where there are prior awards that come into play, and a lot of there's the misconception that let's say there's two prior awards that equal 75 of total, that that means the second injury fund automatically participates at 75 of total, right. where in fact they actually evaluate the case backwards. They look at the value of our case that then work backwards. So just because we have prior awards, obviously that helps us in getting them to participate, but that, that's not a guarantee that that's the exact amount that they're gonna participate at. Yeah, and that's a good point uh, for two reasons. First, Michelle's next question, just kind of a piggyback on our first was, can we guarantee their concessions? No, we can't. I mean, it's going to be the subject of a conference. There's going to be an argument. And if we don't like what they're offering to contribute to the case, we can try the case. Right. Ultimately, it'll be the judge's decision. Um, and then Maureen asked a question, which is, is there a list of pre-existing injuries uh, somewhere that would be considered for the second injury fund? Uh, I think what you're saying is, hey, is there some certain threshold the injury has to meet maybe or or what qualifies? And the answer is literally anything, anything. Male pattern baldness, chronic halitosis, uh, you know, uh, uh, any anything. We could Rehab, just, prior <laughs> drug, drug abuse. Prior drug abuse, uh, and then all the conditions that are not compensable, things like diabetes, hypertension, uh, uh, heart disease, uh, just anything that we can throw against the wall to get some sort of contribution from the second injury. I've it's even seen a sprain and strain of the ankle. Right. Who cares? I, I, you know, at that point, I start getting real creative because I'm trying to get some kind of contribution from them. So I'm very happy that to get any. All right. Um, well, that's our last question. Thanks for coming this afternoon. If you have any other questions, please feel free to email either Karen or myself. Thanks for joining us today. It's been a lot of fun. Have a great rest of the week. Bye. Bye.